0: Listener-supported. WNYC Studios.
1: Hi, everyone. This is Julia Longoria, host of The Experiment. One of the very best parts of my job is getting to call up journalists like Ed Young, Van Newkirk, and Amanda Mole. Their reporting for The Atlantic has brought vital insight to millions of readers and listeners around the world. You can enjoy all of the Atlantic's groundbreaking journalism, gain unlimited access to every single story. When you become a subscriber, just go to theatlantic.com slash listener and get started. <laughs>
2: Drill fact this is Mike.
1: Hi Mike. This is Julia Longoria from the Atlantic and W N Y C. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing good. How are you doing?
1: Good. Um we are gonna just kinda jump in. Are you are you ready to, to go back in time? <laughs> sure. Okay, cool. Let's see what we can do. Who were you in December of two
2: thousand five? I was a real rowdy guy, I guess you could say.
1: Why do you think you were rowdy at that time?
2: Because I beat people up.
1: <laughs> Fifteen years ago, Mike Belderane was a little rough around the edges.
2: So you know, if someone was an asshole in a bar, I'd go have a beer by you until you'd say something to me, and then it'd be all bad for you.
1: He was a bit of an asshole. There were a lot of things that pissed him off, but there was one thing that he loved completely.
2: <laughs> I mean, I lived to hunt elk. Literally. I lived to hunt elk. <laughs>
1: He lived in Montana, not far from Yellowstone National Park, where elk are everywhere. And Mike had the hunt down to an art form.
2: Elk hunting's hard, but if you could call good, you know, I'd guarantee my hunters a shot at 30 yards and closer.
1: What what does that mean? Sorry, I'm like from Miami, Florida. (laughs) I live in Brooklyn. Like, I got got nothing. (laughs) So what does that mean?
2: So you have a cow call. You imitate a cow call and you call them in.
1: So you you make the sound of a cow because like the elk Correct. are are yep. looking for c- cows to yep. with whom to mate. Is that what yep. it is? Yep. Okay. Cool. Pretty, pretty terrible way to die. Can you can you do it for me? No. So why you might ask? Are we talking to this self-proclaimed asshole about killing elk? It's because of this one particular elk, a star-crossed elk, that changed the course of Mike Belderine's life and walked him right into a hole in the U.S. Constitution. It started one snowy morning in December of 2005. Mike set out on horseback just outside Yellowstone National Park. —
2: Lots of mountains and lots of snow and trees. Open country.
1: Eventually, he spotted a group of elk off in the distance. But he set his sights on this one particular elk.
2: That was the biggest bull I'd ever seen. He was a trophy, trophy bull that i have been chasing my whole life.
1: It was his white whale, his trophy bull. How did you feel at that moment?
2: Adrenaline like you wouldn't believe. Happy and nervous together. Nervous because I knew it was illegal.
1: Illegal because hunting season was over, and he was standing inside Yellowstone National Park, where you're not allowed to hunt at all. You knew if you killed the elk, you'd be breaking the law. I knew
2: that if I got caught, I'd be in trouble.
1: But he took out his rifle anyway
2: and aimed. I meant to shoot him in the rib cage behind the shoulder so that he would go into the trees and die. But when I shot and I hit him in the head and he dropped, right where he landed it was the worst sick feeling i ever had in my life i was like oh no not good not good at all
1: instantly mike knew he'd shot an elk while standing inside of yellowstone national park
2: i was standing in the park by 100 feet
1: the evidence of his crime the carcass was laying out in the open Anyone could see.
2: So then it was a race to get him out of there.
1: D- did you take the whole elk uh, into no. the car? Okay. No.
2: Nope. I just so took tum- the... The what? <laughs> did you say tummy?
1: I said tell me. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
0: no, not tummy. <laughs> I thought
2: you said tummy. I'm like, yeah, I took the tummy. What would you do I, with I, the tummy? <laughs> I left it. So at that point, we took the, the head and the antlers from the elk detached him and raced out of there.
1: Mike knew he'd just committed a crime, a serious federal crime. What he didn't know was that, technically, he'd just committed the perfect crime. Because he was standing in one of the only spots in the country where the law shouldn't have been able to touch him. A place inside Yellowstone National Park where you could get away with not just hunting elk, but by the letter of the law, you should be able to get away with murder. I'm Julia Longoria, and this is The Experiment, a show about our unfinished country. I've been thinking about holes in the American project after, you know, an armed insurrection took place on our nation's capital. With that and the global pandemic and everything else we've lived together this year, it sort of feels like we've all collectively stepped into this huge pothole that we didn't see coming. And the question now is, how do we fix this? How do we move forward And how do we repair the weak spots that left us vulnerable to all this in the first place? Those are huge questions, and it's going to take a long time to answer them. So today, I'm starting with something small. A tiny problem in a remote place that no one even knew about until one guy...
3: I'm Brian Kalt. ...uncovered it. I'm a law professor at Michigan State University...
1: Brian Kalt is obsessed with the tiniest details in the law.
3: I was the sort of kid who, if I'm coloring something and I colored a little bit outside the lines, I would have a tantrum and crumple it up and throw it away and start all over again.
1: He looks for the mistakes. Loopholes,
3: weak spots, looking for potential hazards and suggesting ways to patch them up before anyone steps on them.
1: Brian Kalt has fashioned himself as a sort of constitutional plumber, He peers into the wonky insides of our legal system and tries to spot the holes.
3: There's there's a loophole in uh, presidential term limits. There's some dispute about the line of succession. There would be a tremendous incentive for people to kill the candidates, unfortunately. In
1: any other year, he might sound kind of like a prepper.
3: The article that I wrote on impeaching people who've already left office, I published it in 2001. Mm -hmm. Maybe you'd use the 25th Amendment if the president is running amok.
1: Because of but this year, when many of his old predictions made headlines, he sounded a lot like a prophet.
3: I wondered whether the
1: president could pardon
3: himself.
0: The New York Times is reporting now that the president has been discussing pardoning himself. What can you tell us?
1: Uh, well, the but the loophole that Brian is most famous for is the one in Yellowstone National Park, the one that elk hunter Mike Belderane stumbled into.
3: I discovered a, a loophole where There's this 50-square-mile zone in Idaho where you can commit crimes with impunity. Um, Get away with murder.
1: Brian found a zone of death — a place where it would be unconstitutional to prosecute a murderer because of a tiny mistake that Congress made. It has to do with the Sixth Amendment. Number six gave us the right to a local jury. The founders were paranoid about being controlled from far away, so they wanted justice to be hyper-local. They said juries are gonna be very close to the scene of the crime, from the same state and the same federal district. That seems simple, but in Yellowstone, Congress drew a very messy map.
3: We had Yellowstone National Park before we had the state of Wyoming, before we had the state of Idaho, before we had the state of Montana.
1: When the states were drawn, Congress colored outside the lines. States and federal districts don't line up. All of Yellowstone is one district, the District of Wyoming. But inside that district, there are slivers of two other states, Idaho and Montana.
3: I don't know. They could have drawn the state boundaries to follow the park boundaries, but then you wouldn't have had this sort of nice, neat Wyoming rectangle. It's really a trapezoid, but we don't need to get into that.
1: And here's the issue. No one, zero people, live in the Idaho sliver, and only a few people live in the Montana sliver, which means that if you commit a crime in one of these places, it would be very hard to find a jury there. No jury means no trial, and the Constitution guarantees a trial by jury, so that means, technically, you can't be prosecuted.
3: One of the reasons that I went to law school in the first place was this idea that the law mattered and that if you master the law, you have an understanding of the law, that you can make things happen the right way, the way they're supposed to.
1: This is what really upset Brian. Our Constitution is supposed to matter. It was as near a perfect document as has ever been written. But without the Constitution, we would be an entirely different country than we are today. The Constitution...
0: This amazing fabric of our nation is our protection.
1: We spend a lot of time talking about this document, mythologizing it almost. Lawyers spend careers parsing every word. Dissertations have been written just about the placement of commas in this thing. And then to realize there's a place where a major right in the Constitution just doesn't apply? I really just,
3: I want them to fix it.
1: Have you heard of the Sixth Amendment right to a jury of your peers? Uh, I, uh,
4: no, I I haven't. I am new to America and your many amendments.
1: (laughs) When I found out about this loophole, I called Ed Young.
4: Yeah, I'm Ed Yong. I'm a staff science writer at The Atlantic, where I've been covering the COVID-19 pandemic for the last 9,500 years.
1: Ed is a British journalist born in Malaysia. And okay, a British pandemic reporter may seem an unlikely choice for commenting on an American murder loophole. But Ed was one of the first journalists to warn that the U.S. might not be ready for a pandemic. So what he really reports on is risk. Our government's ability to prevent unlikely catastrophes. Things that seem like they could never happen. Not here.
4: You assume that the legal system of the greatest country in the world can't possibly have a loophole that allows people to get away with murder. Surely, if that actually ever happened, like, there would be some way to go it's fine, we'll get a jury, like loophole, schmoophole, it'll be fine. And I think we sort of assumed that with a pandemic. I think that a lot of folks, even the ones who had warned about pandemics, have been surprised at just how badly America has dealt with the crisis this year.
1: A question for you, I'm just curious what you think. Do you think a loophole like that, that's kind of obscure, (laughs) um, do you think it matters? um so
4: does it matter i think one way to look at this would be to think about the potential cost of fixing the loophole like how much effort would go into patching it right cuz if it's not a lot like if it really is just i'm going to you know add an, um, another amendment you you all are very fond of your amendments <laughs> here and the problem goes away and it's easy then then i think you could reasonably ask like why not do that
1: why not indeed
3: the solution is very simple
1: brian kalt had what he thought was a very easy solution to the zone of death loophole dear representative blank first he did what we're all taught to do in school He wrote to government officials to ask them to solve this problem.
3: I wrote a letter to the Department of Justice. He wrote letter after letter. U.S. Attorney's Office in Wyoming, staff of the relevant subcommittees in the House and Senate.
1: They just had to pass a law to redraw the district lines. They
3: should see this as a no-brainer. They'll say, oh yeah, that's funny. Uh, Yeah, let's
1: take care of that right away. And as he waited for responses to these letters. This is a map of Yellowstone National Park. For the most part... funny thing happened. Brian Colt
0: says there is a hole in the Sixth Amendment big enough to run a crime spree through. In part
1: of Yellowstone, it's not how to get away with murder, it's where. It's called the zone of death because of a loophole... Brian published an article in a legal journal about this, and it got a lot of attention.
3: I don't want to say it went viral because, I mean, it was a constitutional law article. They don't go viral.
1: It was maybe the only time that a Law Journal article made it into the National Enquirer. Have you ever heard of the Yellowstone zone of death? There have even been viral tweets and TikToks. Because I know that you the
5: one who killed my dog. Ah!
1: With little skits about the zone of death. Zone of death! Even with all of that attention, Brian could not get a single elected representative to talk to him directly about this problem.
0: Uh, do you expect, or have you already been contacted by, you know, the screenwriter of Oceans 27 or, or Law and Order, about to craft some plot that's based in, in the Idaho portion of Yellowstone Park? Uh, I
3: suppose that plots of legal thrillers have turned on odder oddities than that. I uh, haven't been contacted by anyone, and I hope I'm not.
1: Now there is a catch. But a year after Brian's article came out, someone did contact him. Someone who'd read Brian's paper and urgently wanted to talk to him about the loophole.
5: As soon as I read it, I knew this is this is my way into Yellowstone Park to tell that story.
0: And now, Free Fire by C.J. Box.
5: I'm C.J. Box. I've written 27 novels.
1: Wyoming's best-selling novelist, C.J. Box, is the kind of prolific writer... Whose paperbacks you can buy at the airport. He sold over 10 million books worldwide, and they've been translated into 30 languages. And of course, made into an audiobook.
5: Part one. A half hour after Clay McCann turned over his still warm weapons. You know, the book opens with a guy slaughtering some campers and then turning himself into the ranger station, knowing that. If they try to prosecute him, he's likely not to be minute. convicted. Do you want to call a lawyer? McCann said, you don't understand.
1: I am a lawyer.
5: Because he knows about this loophole because he's a lawyer.
1: A lawyer kind of like Brian Colt. I asked Brian what he thought about the resemblance. If he had made, instead of a small-town
3: lawyer, had made it a pointy-headed sociopathic law professor... <laughs> Uh, as the protagonist, that might have <laughs> that might have hit too close to home <laughs> i don 't consider myself a sociopath.
5: Then he smiled as a sharing a joke
1: The whole plot is like brian colt 's worst nightmare.
5: The puzzle in the book is why did this lawyer, local lawyer shoot all these campers and kill them? Well, just never fucking know i 'm afraid.
1: The plot gets very existential.
5: There's no point, Keaton said, because we're all going to die. I don't know where we're going, but it seems like we're headed somewhere. Story of my life, Joe said.
1: Spoiler alert. Ultimately, we learn the lawyer-murderer was part of this big corporate conspiracy and a government cover-up. He never pays for his crimes in court, but he does burn to death in a hot spring. The story is pretty dark, but... That didn't stop it from having a wide appeal.
3: Free Fire got onto the New York Times extended bestseller list. Then all of a sudden, I got responses.
1: One of the readers of C.J. Box's book was a senator, Senator Mike Enzi from Wyoming.
0: Well, reading is such an exciting thing. I read about 100 books a year. This one's... Free Fire, which is about Yellowstone Park.
1: What you're and hearing on one- is a recording of Enzi on a C-SPAN show called Book Army TV.
0: CJ Box writes some phenomenal stuff about Wyoming. Uh, I get advanced copies of his book usually.
1: He actually would write little reports
5: to me on each book.
0: And I've done a book report on every one of them since I got out of graduate school.
5: Like a book report in high
0: school. There was a zone in Wyoming, well, in Yellowstone Park that was actually considered to be part of Idaho, but nobody lived there. So there would be no jury of your peers.
5: This book is about this issue and, you know, da 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 and this is what happens, and I enjoyed it.
0: Huh. And consequently, maybe you could commit murder there. And uh, so he asked me to make sure that wouldn't be a possibility before the book came out and encouraged
1: And for a little while, it seemed like government was working the way Brian thought it should. The representative for this area was aware of the problem, Brian had presented the solution, and the senator set out to fix it.
3: So November 2006, I had the contact with Senator Enzi's office.
1: And over the course of the next several months. And then
3: in January of 2007, I followed up.
1: Brian had back and forths with Senator Enzi's office that seemed promising. Enzi reached out to the Department of Justice to solve the issue. In
3: February of 2007, Enzi sent a letter to Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez asking him to look into this matter. But... In the end. And then in May of 2007, Enzi sent the letter explaining why the department wasn't going to be doing
1: anything about it. And could you read a little bit from that letter?
3: Sure. I have spoken with individuals at the Department of Justice and other members of the law enforcement community. They have assured me that, should a crime be committed in the zone of death, they would move forward with prosecution and have suggested that the courts would allow the prosecutors to move forward. At this point in time, we will hope the problem is a hypothetical and it remains as such. However, I continue to take this matter seriously, and I will be evaluating the available solutions to determine what is practical and what is possible.
1: Did you ever hear back about what is practical and what is possible?
3: Well, it it looked like um, not doing anything was the only thing that proved practical.
1: I reached out to Senator Enzi to ask him why he didn't end up closing this loophole. I got in touch last December, right before he retired from his 24 years in the Senate, and he declined to be interviewed through a press secretary. I tried again in the new year, and the only response I heard back Was actually through CJ Box, who told me he's not doing any post retirement interviews.
3: I recognize that Congress has many more pressing matters, less hypothetical, actual problems to deal with. Not that they're doing anything about those things either. But in a typical Congress, what gets passed is renaming post offices. Is
4: approved.
3: They find the time to rename rename post offices. This is not the most important thing in the world. Uh, It's not even close. But they have a system in place where, if there's a good reason to rename a post office, then it happens. If they can do that, they can do this. Senate 4684, an act to designate— The
1: the very last bill that Senator Enzi introduced in the Senate, by the way, it renamed a post office. — Street In Thermopolis, Wyoming, as the Robert L. Brown post office.
3: — Is there objection to the consideration of the bill?
1: — So, after years of trying to get this loophole fixed, even after it became a viral sensation, a hit crime novel, an item on Senator Enzi's agenda, Brian hit a brick wall. It was a hypothetical problem. Congress was not going to fix something that was so unlikely to happen. Until it did happen, sort of.
3: When there arose an actual case. When I shot and I hit him in the head and he dropped, it was the
2: worst sick feeling I ever had in my life. I was like, oh no,
1: not good.
3: I saw what that would look like here.
1: The elk hunter after the break. Hi, everyone. This is Julia Longoria, host of The Experiment. One of the very best parts of my job is getting to call up journalists like Ed Young, Van Newkirk, and Amanda Mole. Their reporting for The Atlantic has brought vital insight to millions of readers and listeners around the world. You can enjoy all of The Atlantic's groundbreaking journalism, gain unlimited access to every single story when you become a subscriber. Just go to theatlantic.com listener and get started. When we last left Mike Belderane, he'd poached an elk while standing inside Yellowstone, chopped off the head, and left the carcass out in broad daylight.
2: That was the biggest bull killed in Montana that year.
1: He felt bad about it, but not that bad about it. This was the biggest kill of his career. It was his trophy bull. So he took the head to a taxidermist, got it stuffed, and mounted it for everyone to see.
2: Well, that's why I was killing him.
1: It wasn't until a full year later that Mike was arrested, and we got our first and only test of the perfect crime theory.
2: My shooting that elk had nothing to do with that perfect crime area.
1: Of course, Mike had never heard of Brian Colt or the zone of death. And even if he had...
2: That bull could have been standing deep inside the park where I had to pay an entry fee to get into it, I still had to kill that elk.
1: But, His lawyers tried the argument anyway. They said if Mike Belderane's case were to go to trial, the court would have a very hard time finding a jury that lived inside the little sliver of Montana, inside Yellowstone, where he killed the elk. They would almost certainly violate Mike Belderane's constitutional right to a local jury.
3: And the judge basically said, well, that's an interesting but esoteric argument, but I can't just let him go just because the Constitution says so. And
1: so he didn't. His lawyer tried some other tactics.
2: Made it sound like I was a freaking hero. He brought up how I had a full-ride basketball scholarship, did all these great things, and donated to here, donated to there. I wanted to smack him. I was like, oh, my God, sit down.
1: (laughs) Wait, you you were mad at the lawyer for making you sound like a hero? Yeah, I was like,
2: dude, (laughs) God Almighty, are you crazy?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sit down.
2: Fact of matter, I was there for shooting a freaking elk, and I left a carcass. So I still felt like shit about
1: it. For Mike, this was not about the Constitution. It was about the principle of the thing in a weird way. I mean, did I deserve to get in trouble?
2: Absolutely. I mean, what I did was the dumbest thing ever. You'll never hear me say what I did was right. No lawyer would have got me out of it, nor should he have. Anyone that knows me knows I fucked up. Excuse my language. Knows I did wrong. I felt like shit. If someone else would have did what I did, I'd have beat him up. Let's put it that way.
1: So Mike Belderain took a plea. He pled guilty. And instead of the seven years he might have faced if he went to trial, he took four years.
2: Like I said, I definitely deserved to get in trouble. But four years? No. Felt like shit. You know what I mean? (laughs) Had five kids.
1: And in his plea, he agreed to a condition that he would never appeal his case based on the zone of death.
3: The fact that they put him in prison in a way that left the loophole as open as it had been, if not wider, um, that was the part about it that was hardest for me to swallow. Maybe it's from when I was a kid watching Schoolhouse Rock that the image of the lawmaking process that I grew up with was... I'm just a bill. Uh, Yes, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. And he says, you know, when I started, I was just an idea. Some folks back home called their local congressman and he said, you're right, there ought to be a law. And he sat down and he wrote me out and he introduced me to Congress. And I became a bill. That's my image of it, I guess. Um, And every step in this process was telling me that that was just not so. So with the
4: Brian Colt case, did anything change after the elk incident?
1: No, no, nothing (laughs) changed. Atlantic staff writer Ed Young again. Ed has spent a lot of the last year wondering why the government was not better prepared for the pandemic. Why the warnings and advice of many experts were ignored. Why such a powerful country didn't live up to its image.
4: Okay, so this is the thing that concerns me now i worry about our capacity to learn from our past mistakes now obviously like a pandemic is not the same as this murder loophole because in the worst case scenario you would expect like maybe a few people to fall foul of the problem that brian cult identified whereas in a pandemic almost by definition it's a whole world that's at risk All of this does hinge on our ability to look at a rare but potentially catastrophic outcome and take the steps that are necessary to ward against it. And it's interesting, I think, that even though we have seen what happens when we don't prepare for that, I don't know if we are capable of mustering the collective consciousness and the political will to actually address those problems.
1: Why do you think we have trouble fixing things as a country that aren't currently on fire?
4: I think there's a lot of different reasons. Um, To pick one that I think is relevant to the loophole story that you told me, I think America is possessed of this extreme sense of exceptionalism. I mean, the country is famous for it, for thinking itself the greatest nation in the world. And I think if you truly internalize that message, then a lot of things flow from it. You know, it takes work and effort to be exceptional. And if you think that you're already there, then you're probably not going to put that effort in.
1: Yeah, I, I wonder if sometimes on our good days that idealism or exceptionalism would push the country, push individuals to try to keep making the ideal true. On our good days, I
4: I don't you know I don't know that that's true and and really that's, yeah I really don't I think that if you tell people that they are exceptional for a very long period of time, you breed complacency. You don't foster innovation. Hmm. I mean, honestly, like why try if you already believe yourselves to be great? And uh, and I worry because I think we still have a lot to do, and in some ways. The vaccines that we have now and that are being rolled out, I think are more likely to tip us towards forgetfulness. If anything comes from this year, I hope that it's this understanding that there's a lot left to fix.
1: Mike Belderine's four years in prison were rough.
2: The guards, the people there, no one could believe I was in prison for shooting a frickin' elk. It was a bad deal. It wasn't even a bad deal for me. It was a bad deal for my family. <clears throat> They're the ones that hurt the worst.
1: But he's out now. He's back with his family. And at least for him personally, he says he dropped some of the pride, some of the ego, that made him think that he could get away with a crime like that. He knew he messed up, and he put in the work to try to fix it.
2: Well, I mean, I did, you know, I was rowdy back in the days. I did a lot of stupid shit, you know, and never got in trouble. I don't know. Just greed. Greed and fame and all that bullshit got to me. I still am a family guy. still got horses. I still hunt. I hunt more now than I did then. I just don't, you know, I don't break no laws. My kids don't break no laws.
1: Do you think you... Shed your like rough ways of of, of you. No, I'm years. still
2: I'm still an asshole,
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I don't drink. You know what I mean? I went to AA. I did all that, and it made me a better person. I don't know how to say it. I'm really I take pride in my work. I take pride in my crew. I love my job. I love my family.
1: And how how do you make sense of of everything that happened to you now? It, everything just
2: happens for a reason.
1: What what reason then did this happen for?
2: I don't know. <laughs> no idea.
1: This episode of The Experiment was produced by Julia Longoria and Alvin Melleth with editing by Katherine Wells and sound design by David Herman. Our team also includes Matt Collette, Tracy Hunt, Natalia Ramirez, and me, Gabrielle Burbet. Music by Tasty Morsels. Special thanks to Jennifer Jarrett and Montana State University Library's Acoustic Atlas and the Yellowstone National Park Sound Library. The Experiment is a co-production of The Atlantic and WNYC Studios. Hi everyone, this is Julia Longoria, host of The Experiment, one of the very best parts of my job is getting to call up journalists like Ed Young, Van Newkirk, and Amanda Mole. Their reporting for The Atlantic has brought vital insight to millions of readers and listeners around the world. You can enjoy all of The Atlantic's groundbreaking journalism, gain unlimited access to every single story when you become a subscriber. Just go to theatlantic.com listener and get started.